Welcome back to Speaking of Wounds, a podcast by the Wound Care Learning Network. We have a very special guest with us today, Dr. Janice Bice. Dr. Bice is one of my favorite wound care speakers and one of my favorite wound care specialists. I'm so blessed to be on this podcast with her. Dr. Bice is a professor of nursing at the School of Nursing in Camden at Rutgers University. She's a native of Philadelphia and has over 45 years of nursing experience in acute, subacute, and outpatient care settings. She is a graduate of the Germantown Hospital School of Nursing in LaSalle, Lenova, and Temple Universities. She's a board cer- she is board certified as an adult clinical specialist in medical surgical nursing, as a nurse of the operating room, as an advanced practice wound ostomy continence nurse, and as an adult nurse practitioner. Dr. Bice also does expert witness cases for wound litigation on defense. Dr. Bice, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, is there anything else you would like to add on top of what I've already listed? Your credentials uh, speak for you, but I'm happy to hear other things that you are currently involved in. Um, thanks, Martha. I'm, I'm really uh, honored to be invited. When you contacted me, I was delighted to talk about this topic because it's near and dear to my heart. Uh, but I do, I'm involved in other things as well. Um, I'm not only a clinician, but I'm also an educator. So I'm actually doing a study on workplace bullying in academia, which is never dull, let me tell you. So that's an interesting topic. And I'm also involved with algorithm development and updating. So that's kind of fun. That's related to wound care. So um, it's never dull. Um, there's always something going on. And that's, that's the bottom line. Uh, it keeps me engaged. It keeps me interested. And I learn something new clinically and personally every day. So that, that's a story of my life. Your students are blessed to have you as one of their professors. You're amazing. I, I want to talk about one of my favorite all-time articles that you authored, and it's called The Pharmacological Impact, otherwise known as the Breaking Bad, of Medications on Wound Healing and Wound Development, a literature-based overview. If we could start with what was the inspiration for taking on this type of publication? Interestingly enough, it was frustration. Because I am a practicing clinician, I would work very hard to get patients' wounds improved and would try to do everything I could to tune up the patient, look at their nutrition, Mm -hmm. work with PT and OT, uh, be cognizant of a lot of things that need to be done for the wound locally, But despite that, there were patients that just were so recalcitrant to healing. And I knew, of course, things like steroids. Steroids, I think, if you don't know that steroids are affect and impact and slow down wound healing, then you've been in a coma. I'm just joking. But seriously, (laughs) I think everybody who's in wound care knows that. But I I started thinking to myself, because I was frustrated with some of the the patients that I was dealing with, how, what could be impacting, what could be slowing down, what could be hindering their healing? And then conversely, are there things that I could do to help? What do I need to be aware of that might help wound healing? So I started looking in the literature and I started to think about 
the medication therapy that patients were receiving. And at the same time, I'm teaching a population-based health course talking about the impact of chronic illness in the United States and across the planet. And they're talking about the multiple comorbidities that patients who have wounds have. And, you know, I say, if you work in a wound care setting and your patients don't have multiple comorbidities, tell me where you are and I'll come join you. Because other than that, the patients that we take care of, as you know, Martha, are incredibly ill. It's not just mm -hmm. one malady, it's 10. Um, mm -hmm. Recently, I saw a lady, I swear, she had 45 coded problems, 45. Uh, amazing, this lady was so ill. Long story short, I said, wow, that's a challenge, comorbidities. Well, how do we treat comorbidities? We treat them often with medication therapy. And it was like, ding, let me look mm -hmm. in the literature for a good resource, because I wanted to have an article that I could take with me when I was looking at somebody's medication regimen to think about what might be impeding their prompter, their more quick healing. And I hit the literature because that's what you do when you're into evidence-based mm -hmm. practice. You go into CINAHL, you go into Medline, you go into PubMed. Uh, there's several things you can do, but they're the most common ones for us in healthcare. And I started looking up the topic of medications and wound healing. Mm -hmm. and started to put together this article in my mind and was actually astounded how relatively few articles had been written about medications and wound healing. And I used all kinds mm -hmm. of search terms. When you look at the article, search terms are listed there. But generally speaking, in CINAHL, there was about 256 articles over 16 years time. I searched from 2000, 2000 to 2016, that's 16 years, and there were only 256 articles in CINAHL and 259 in Medline, and of course, many of them were duplicates. So it's mm -hmm. really less. So I thought, wow, that's not a lot of work in that time frame. You know, if you go into a hot topic, you could have 250 articles in a year or six months right. if it's really hot stuff. So I thought to myself, is, wow, there's a huge need for somebody to do an overview. On average, that's 16 publications a year. That's nothing. It's so you're nothing. talking about yeah. two decades of publications. And in the meantime, you have new medications coming out, of course. And so we're not even studying some of the newer meds. This is just simply 16 publications annually on current or older medications. That's fascinating. So well, it I, was, I was stunned. Oh, sorry, yeah. go ahead. I was stunned that it was so small. And your point about new medications is very well taken. For example, whole new class of agents called angiogenesis inhibitors. Well, mm -hmm. they're really good to stop tumors, but they're really bad <laughs> if you have a surgical wound that needs to close or any other kind of wound yeah. because you need new blood vessels and angiogenesis inhibitors slow down new blood vessel growth. So that's a problem that could be a really good reason why mm -hmm. your patient is at risk of prolonged healing. Mm -hmm. I saw that even working at the wound center, uh, the advanced wound center uh, that I managed back in what, 2008, 2009, 2010, around there. And, you know, somebody maybe needed a pacemaker 
that they were on chemotherapy. And so they would re even reach out to the wound center to try to help determine when would be the appropriate time to have that surgery based on their chemo so that the, the surgical site would heal. And, you know, it's like, well, it hasn't been studied a whole lot. And so it's really anybody's gamble. If they need the pacemaker, the heart's kind of one of those important things that we have to have functioning correctly just to keep the person alive. So you risk putting in the pacemaker or their medically necessary surgery, and we deal with the wound complications later and roll the dice and hope that everything's okay because it's not well studied. You're right. Yeah, and, and it's, just, it's a challenge because people, you know, just because they have a wound doesn't mean that they don't need other therapies. So let's say you're somebody who has really bad rheumatoid arthritis and you need to have a hip replacement or a knee replacement and you're on a monoclonal antibody that depresses your immune system. Well, how mm -hmm. the heck are you going to go through the inflammatory process, the second step of wound healing, if your immune system is depressed and you're not going to mount a good inflammatory response? That's the kind mm -hmm. of thinking, I would say the comprehensive thinking that has to occur for patients that have wounds. It's not just dabbing something on a wound uh, or putting a dressing on and thinking, well, I've done my job. It's much more than that. Of course, the saying in mm -hmm. wound care is not just the hole in the patient, but the whole patient. <laughs> and yeah. the bottom line is medications are a classic example of the need to look at the whole patient. Mm -hmm. I love that. So I, I do have to ask, after reviewing and compiling hundreds of documents, had to be time consuming. What was the approximate amount of time it took to research, compile, write, and uh, edit an article of this magnitude? Uh, it took me 18 months. It took me a year and a half. Wow to pull the articles. Of course, you know, you have to, if you're doing over time, you have to keep updates. So I would always go back into the literature to see if anything new had popped out because this is not a particularly hot area. There weren't that too many things coming out. Um, somewhat, some things that were tangentially related, but basically speaking a year and a half to get the articles, print mm -hmm. them out, read them, uh, start to compile the themes that I saw uh, and it gave me the bigger picture on, you know, what are some of the categories that can really cause a problem? And some of them are the newer types of drug categories. So you see these commercials on TV. Oh, you have this drug, this condition, you need this drug. And then at the end of the commercial, they say, oh, by the way, this can give you <laughs> blah, 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 blah at the end. And you know, it, something that it suppresses your immune system is going to impact on, just like chemotherapy does, your ability to heal. Uh, tumor, you know, tumor necrosis factor alpha blockers are going to be a problem. Monoclonal antibodies that suppress the immune system through other mechanisms are going to be a problem. Steroids, we know, are a problem. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> One of the big ahas, Martha, for me was non-steroidals. I had to admit, I really didn't appreciate how non-steroidal NSAIDs, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, like the ibuprofens of the world, how mm -hmm. they had impact on wound healing. That was a big aha for me. And I've kept it in mind because patients sometimes are taking fairly high doses of them and then can have issues with slow mm -hmm. wound healing. 
I always think about certain conditions that have limited options for drug treatment. So sickle cell leukemia for or sickle cell uh, disease, for example, and some pre-leukemia disorders traditionally are treated with hydroxyria, for example. Mm-hmm. And hydroxyria's side effect or one of the side effects can be wounds over the ankle or Achilles tendon area. And so the challenge is you stop that drug therapy and they go into sickle cell crisis or they can go into full-blown leukemia. But if you keep them on the drug therapy, the wounds aren't going to heal. And as a matter of fact, the wounds are going to deteriorate. So you get into kind of a rock and a hard spot situation. And I've been asked, you know, well, what, what do we do then? And I always say, you know, it's not my leg. I'm not attached to it. So it's my job, or as wound specialists, our job to outline the options, you know, talk to their medical director or their primary care physician, whoever's in charge of ordering the meds, but outline the options to the family and the patient and let them be the deciding factor along with the advice of their primary care or medical director that's writing those orders. Because at the end of the day, they have to live with those choices. I don't. I'm not the one attached to that leg. What are your thoughts about that? You're sort of preaching to the choir here because that's my thought process exactly. I mean, an example is somebody who has pretty serious cardiac issues and needs to be anticoagulated for the longer haul. You know, sometimes people need invasive surgery. People with bad hearts can get cancer. And if they have to have invasive surgery, then the surgeon and the cardiologist have to get together and have, you know, some kind of uh, cross-pollination in their thinking about what are we going to do with the challenge of this. Now, you know, having worked in the operating room for years, I know that there are magnificent newer ways to stop bleeding, all kinds of laser-mediated, um, you know, electrosurgical units and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and all kinds of special topical things you can put in to stop bleeding. But still... It's a conversation that has to occur. You have to have that thought process in advance. So these comorbidities are definitely affecting how we uh, how we address wound care, because your your description of sickle cell, those ulcers are just a huge challenge. They don't heal easily. And what mm-hmm. are you going to do? Are you going to take the patient off the drug that keeps them out of a crisis? Uh, what are you going to do? And that's the conversation you have to involve the patient. Some patients are willing to risk going off the drug for a short time to try to get the wound healed and then go back on the agent, hopefully that they will not break down that area again. Sometimes it's Mm -hmm. just a little trauma that has occurred and then bam, it just won't heal because of their medication therapy. Uh, I've seen Mm -hmm. that. Another big aha for me, in addition to drug categories that I really hadn't considered as uh, slowing down wound healing to the degree that they do, the, um, the other big aha was um, drugs can cause skin damage. And that's another part of the article is that you can have all kinds of response in the skin, which is the largest organ of the body. Of course, if you have a drug reaction, it may manifest in your kidneys, you affect your liver, but it can manifest in your skin. So having Mm -hmm. these dermatological observed changes from a drug, it's not uncommon. It's one of the most common um, 
adverse drug effects in hospitalized patients is a skin reaction. So that was another mm -hmm. big aha of when you see something, because sometimes as a wound provider, you see it before other providers do. And you say, oh, look at this. I can give it it's a interesting. I have a Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go now, ahead. I, I can give a perfect <laughs> example. I was working in an LTAC and I had a little old lady come in from of South Philadelphia, very devoted child taking care of her adult son. And they said she had pressure ulcers on her sternum. <laughs> she had them on her hip. She had them on her sacrum. She had them on her heels. Lady was a little old lady, lots of breakdown, despite the fact he took very good care of her. But she had them on her sternum. And I thought, gee, <laughs> what does she do? She lays laying face down in the bed, was getting pressure injuries on her sternum. What's the story? So I looked back at her file and saw that she had started a drug for one of her neurological conditions like two days, three days before. And what was mm. manifesting on her sternum was a drug reaction. There were also lesser versions of it on her arms. So I got mm. the medical director and said, look it, these are pressure injuries. That's a pressure injury. That's not a pressure injury. And mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I said, what is she doing? I put my face down on the, on the desk and said, is that how she's been laying in bed? Doesn't make sense. So they stopped that drug. And guess what? I cured her pressure injuries on her sternum because <laughs> they weren't pressure <laughs> injuries. They were drug reactions. And that is something that I think every wound care clinician has to be cognizant of. What are the drug mm -hmm. reactions that can occur that are manifest in the skin that you might be the first person to notice it? Mm -hmm. It's my personal story is my father, and he was the, one of the first autologous stem cell transplants in Kansas City. He had a stage 4B multiple myeloma and uh, plasma cell leukemia. And so they'd given him three months to live and then uh, enrolled him in a clinical research study for autologous stem cell transplant. But in the meantime, they're giving him chemo and he has lytic lesions in his bones. So they're giving him IV bisphosphonate treatment. And he has to have that prolonged. And lo and behold, after his first stem cell transplant, autologous, and you know, three or four years of IV bisphosphonate treatment, he developed a draining wound in his mouth. And it, they were having discussions about, is this pressure? Because it's over a bone. Uh, in his mouth, it's under his tongue. Where would that? <laughs> it's not from a bite block or from being intubated. There's no way. Well, because it was many years ago, they didn't know that the side effect of prolonged IV bisphosphonate treatments was osteonecrosis of the jaw. Yeah. And so it was also interesting because for seven years, we went to numerous specialists trying to ask, how should we treat this? And nobody knew. There was a varying of opinions. We should extract the tooth. We should do a bone debridement. We should leave it alone. We should, and you know, my cousin, the dentist, we finally called her because we trust her. And she said, absolutely not. You leave it alone. And she was right. But of course, he, dry, he died with that draining wound in his mouth because none of these specialists knew that hyperbaric oxygen would have cured him. Right. And so that's my personal story about how medications can absolutely create wounds and if we're not looking at the medications that they're on or like you said the prevalence or incidence of when did that wound occur um, versus what medications we initiated I don't know that they ever would have gotten to the bottom of it so 
I mean, I think, it was, a... I think it's so important. I think anytime anybody who's picking up a new patient, if there are medications that are known to cause a challenge, chemo, st long-term steroids, long-term high-dose NSAIDs, that should be in the initial note. If people see mm -hmm. comorbidities along with the pharmacological therapy that can impair wound healing, it, it, it really, the, you owe it to the patient to have it in the documentation so that people that are reading your thought processes get that because not everybody understands this relationship quite frankly i learn it's one of the reasons why i write and publish i learn something new every time i do it and my goal was i wanted people I, and it took me a while to get this accepted because it was a big article and i said to the mm -hmm. people i was working with i want every single reference in there because i want people to be able to go back and look at where i found this because it took me 18 months to put it together but I wanted to mm -hmm. really have it as a resource for others along with myself and share the information that I had learned. Because quite frankly, there's not a heck of a lot out there. Um, I've been asked to do a chapter on this topic for one of the new textbooks that's coming out, I'm glad to say. So it's getting <laughs> into the literature, thankfully. I just, I just submitted that chapter. So, I mean, there's another whole area that I think needs to be explored and that is getting information from other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. Other parts of the world use all kinds of topical therapy that are traditional, traditional in that they're kind of like folk treatments. Those areas need to be scientifically investigated. Mm -hmm. Like salt palmettos used for um, gentlemen that have uh, benign prostatic hypertrophy. Well, if you look at a lot of the drugs, the formal drugs, the, the prescribed drugs, the steroid drugs, finasteride and other things like that, they have some of the same constituents that saw palmetto does. So, you know, some of these other topical therapies in other countries, if we could get them into controlled trials and test them, there's another whole battery of agents that we could use that are not systemic, that may offer improved healing without slamming on the other body systems. And that to me mm -hmm. is an area that really needs to be considered. How do we get this article and research into the hands of the PharmDs of the world, the world of long-term care or even other wound specialists to help adopt this research and put more of a focus onto it? Do you have a vision on how to help them adopt you this know, that's why I published it. Yeah, that's why I published it. And that's why um, I, I, with people that are the wound clinicians seeing these challenges, I think they have to share the wealth. If they mm -hmm. are working with somebody who doesn't have a good understanding of this, then you really need to share the information with it. I did it all the time with nutrition people. I've worked with some wonderful dietitians. Um, I worked with one uh, younger guy who was relatively new to the field. And any article that I found on nutrition and wound healing, I put into this man's hands. He loved it. And he was one of the best support people to me for the decade that I worked at this LTAC. Because if they had a wound, they had to have a nutrition consult. I started that. Uh, and that was really, and now it's, it's really an expectation. If a patient has a wound, they better have a dietary consult. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> because, you know, it's just, it's just the, it's the right thing to do, but it's also the legally smart thing to do. And, and you need to have 
the dietitian's input because they have some really good ideas about a supplement people who may be nutritionally depleted. Mm -hmm. My company does uh, write a consult for the PharmD to look at medications or the side effects of medications on wound healing. Uh, I don't know that it's a standard of care across the United States, but it's something that we personally implemented because of this article. Uh, I do have a quick question uh, before we have to wrap up. Are you talking about this article anywhere coming up in the future, lecturing about it? Um, I have not been asked to do that recently. I certainly could provide an update if I were asked to talk about it. Um, I just updated for the chapter that I wrote about, I expanded what was in this article and talked more about some of the other um, substances that are used from trees and bees and plants and all kinds of things uh, for the topical aspect of wound care. Because I think that's an untapped area. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think it really isn't. If I were a drug company and I could look at what could we get from, like I call reverse engineering, where you get it from other countries coming here instead of our work going out to the rest of the world, um, to see mm -hmm. what other traditional societies that have less resources, what are they doing with wounds? I bet we could we could learn a lot, a lot more, but it has to be done within the scientific approach. And that is, you know, decently designed research studies, not not case studies, not two, oh, two people it worked on, therefore that's proof. No, that doesn't cut it in this day and age. Um, you know, I, I appreciate the FDA and how they protect us as a nation um, by mm -hmm. not having bad things occur. But I also think um, some money has to come forth from somewhere to get some of these trials going, looking at some of the other substances. And then also not traditional use of traditional, of what I would call prescription medications. Because mm -hmm. other countries are using things like topical insulin to help wounds heal. Oh, oh yeah. And there's a whole list of prescription medications that are used topically that are being explored. I think that should ramp up in this country to see if it could help. Mm -hmm. Dr. Bice, I love your big brain and your practical applications. It's always so fun talking to you and hearing all the breakthroughs and knowledge and education research that you have to share with the wound industry. I appreciate you so much joining us for this podcast. I thought it was a great discussion. Uh, Dr. Bites and the listeners, make sure to tune in and be sure to check out the woundcarelearningnetwork.com for more podcasts, articles, and videos on various topics in wound care. Also, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Speaker, or where you normally listen to your podcast. Dr. Bites, how can people reach out to you if they want to get in touch with you? Well, two things I'd like to say. One is, if you want to read this article, it is located, it's a March 2017 publication in the journal Ostomy Wound Management, which has now had its name changed to Wound Management and Prevention. But if you look back under Ostomy Wound Management, March 2017, that's where this Breaking Bad article is located. If you need to contact me, uh, my email is janice.bites at camden.ruckers.edu. Um, I, I, I have the pleasure of being the director of our Woundostomy Continence Nursing Education Program here. If you're interested in getting 
um, a WOC preparation, because we are an accredited program, you could write my administrative support, uh, Mr. Jason Love. He is jason.love at ruckers.edu. You can visit our webpage at Rutgers Camden. We are the Southern school in the Rutgers system. Um, and I'm pleased to work with woundostomy continence nursing students all the time. I'd love to give a shout out to all my former students across the country <laughs> and to my current students, big hugs. Um, and I, I just hope this article is helpful. That was my goal. I wanted to learn something myself so I could be a better provider, but I also <laughs> wanted to be a helpful resource because it's not getting easier with these wound patients. They're so challenged physically and psychologically. We just really need to bring the best skills to bear on these patients. And quite frankly, I was honored to be asked to do this, um, this podcast. I thank you. Thank you. And we do hope that you tune into our next podcast. And thank you for listening to Speaking of Wounds.